0: Welcome to Afternoons with me, Bill Arnold here. I'm here for uh, the next hour with some fantastic guests. Dr. Alex McFarland will be joining me here in just a moment. And I'm looking forward to finding out all about his summer. I know he has been speaking at some summer camps and I don't know, I've always had a great fascination for those. I never went as a kid, but for some reason I always thought that looked like the coolest thing to do. And I don't know why I never went, but uh, I, I have great affection for something I never did. So I do want to find out about that. I know he uh, has been involved with summer camps and his speaking uh, uh, schedule is thick and busy and he takes time to meet and talk to us. So for that, I am very grateful. So uh, what I will do is uh, just take a short 60 seconds and then we'll bring on Dr. Alex McFarland. I'm Faith Radio Manager, Neil Stavem. Fall Share is just three weeks away. And we're looking forward to celebrating the reason for this ministry. To lift up the name of Jesus, proclaim God's word daily, and encourage believers in their faith. This is all possible because of your support. And your gift today gives us a great head start toward building the financial base of ministry for the months ahead. Here's how you can get involved. Call 877-93-FAITH or give online at myfaithradio.com.
1: Relevant Bible preaching and family-focused teaching is heard every day on Faith Radio. This is done through live daily original shows along with messages from your favorite pastors and ministries. You can see exactly when each program airs by checking the local schedules page at MyFaithRadio.com. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com, look under the tab that says Schedule, then click on Local Schedules to find the lineup for your city. Enjoy all your favorite shows on Faith Radio.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully glad that you're with me today. I was looking at Psalm 94, verses 18 and 19, where it says, When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I love that verse. It is Psalm 94, 18 and 19. I would highly recommend that you being one you consider memorizing when, my, when I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I certainly hear that a lot, that there's lots of uh, anxiety in life, and people are struggling and suffering with anxiety, and I'm one of those people myself from time to time. So um, anyway, Alex McFarland is a national uh, speaker. He's got, had his own national talk show host. He's author of over 20 books creator of the Truth for New Generation Apologetics Conference, and whenever I get Alex on, I just it's time with a friend. So uh, let's bring him onto the program. Alex, welcome.
2: Well, thank you, Bill. It sure is great to hear your voice again.
0: Thank you so much. Now, did you do some of the summer camps?
2: Oh, we did, and oh man, I give God the glory. We, We just got through with two youth apologetics events, and we had teams from seven states And, Bill, they ate it up, man. We were going over biblical worldview apologetics. Uh, Many young people accepted Christ. Others were believers, but they needed to, you know, make sure how they knew the Lord and deeply. But uh, kids are spiritually hungry, and when you give them the truth, at least in our experience, they eat it up.
0: Yeah, so these kids had an appetite for apologetics.
2: Oh, big time. Big time. Listen to this, Bill. I haven't told you this, but last weekend, one week ago, I was in Miami, Florida, and there were um, lots and lots of kids there uh, of many ethnicities. And this one young man, just a all-American kid, uh, African-American boy, and he looked like he was, you know, maybe a high schooler. But he came to the mic during the Q and A in front of all of his peers, and he said, "I'm an atheist." Um, But I came, I saw the poster, and I listened to his wording. He said, I wanted to once and for all determine if Christianity is real. That was his way he phrased it. Once and for all, I want to figure out if Christianity is real. By the end of the conference, he accepted Christ. And uh, he had some issues. We talked about evolution. We talked about Darwin. And, um, you know, we were talking about DNA and how – the complexity of DNA, you know, could not have arisen by chance, and uh, he accepted Christ. So, let me say we've seen professed skeptics, atheists, kids with emotional issues, some kids struggling with sexual sin and other things, out of the backdrop of of painful experiences. But when when you share Jesus and give them the answers to their questions, in our experience, very, very, very often they will open their heart to Christ and be saved.
0: You know, Alex, I, I never went as a kid to summer camp, but I have great affection for these camps, and it's almost that time where you're you're kind of set apart and you're out in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and you can really uh, open your heart and mind up to God, can't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. To get out of the routine right. and kind of away from the noise. And um, I think the Lord uses that. And, and we're going to be doing a couple of camps next summer, too. And, of course, we have a lot on the plate between now and next summer. But uh, thank you for asking. We, um, I give God the glory. We had some coverage this week. We were on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson and CBN News and um, – uh, Christian Post covered it. Uh, last week I had an article in uh, townhall.com and another one on World Net Daily. Um, some of my commentary on the uh, the shootings in, in El Paso and uh, Ohio and uh, some of the moral and political issues. You know, Bill, I, I'm an evangelist. I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. I want to take as many people with me as I can. But I also feel very compelled to comment on some of the things going on in our culture. And uh, that's gotten some coverage, positive and negative. But you know, uh, the last month has been really busy.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any per- message? Is Jesus. there any particular uh, thing you want to talk about right now, Alex? I mean, I'll just open the floor to you if you want to.
2: I, tr- well, I trust uh, you
0: completely. In other words,
2: God bless you. <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about anything you'd like to. I will say this: it's been a little bit of a puzzlement to me. How uh, some cities like San Francisco and Seattle, um, they, they just got a bona fide crisis on their hands due to a lot of their um, liberal policies. And did you see this week, two days ago, San Francisco in the city council meeting said that they wanted to change the use of language and felons would not be called convicted felons anymore, but, quote, justice involved persons mhm because they said to to call a convicted criminal a felon is is impolite and demoralizing and so henceforth in san francisco those um uh, people that uh had had run-ins with the law and convictions would be called justice involved persons and I, you know sometimes i just think when are, when are we going to recover our moral compass and and our ability to think rationally? Uh, how far into anarchy must we descend before we realize, hey, you know, this is just not working for us? Do you ever think that?
0: I do. And Alex, say something about the language war and and people want to control the language and the words because that's how you control popular opinion.
2: Well, exactly. And. You know, I mean there were a lot of people from the 19th century up through the 60s, people like Saul Alinsky, that uh, – you've got to understand the, the communists understood that to introduce new order, you have to disrupt the existing order and introduce disorder. So there's order, disorder, then new order. And uh we're we're to that point. I mean, there are a lot of people I think there are a lot of people that are just blinded by political correctness and they they don't really know what's going on. But I think there are there are those in education and politics and frankly a lot of um you know, very wealthy people that are not Christians, like so I think about Tim Gill and the Gill Foundation, I think about George Soros. Mm-hmm. and they're they're wealthy they're they're living insulated lives um they've got enough money that they don't think they have to answer to much of anybody certainly not god and from their ivory towers of privilege they think it would be fine to introduce socialism and relativism but uh you know th- that's just not reality um I, I will say political correctness and relativism is changing how we use language and there's the belief that language is fluid and words mean things only because we make them mean things but but again that's not how language operates language is objective not subjective mm-hmm. i mean you you and i know, if i say you know uh minnesota is in the western hemisphere you know I'm not giving you a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> or, I mean, yeah, language is objective. And we, we even have laws for the way that, that govern the misuse of language. We have words like perjury and slander and libel because we hold people accountable for the way they use language. So language is, is objective, not subjective. And and truth is is fixed, not fluid, just like gender.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Alex, campus life is going to start happening uh, like next week. So, what should students uh, start to stay focused on getting back to school?
2: Well, uh, praise God. Uh, I, and yes, going back to school is an important thing. I wrote a book called Stand Strong in College, I wrote another book called Stand Courageous." You Must Know for an Unshakable Faith. That are kind of little, you know, um, books on how students can grow uh, in their faith, uh, even on the campus. Well, number one, Proverbs 1-7, Bill, that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, you, You cannot assume yourself to be truly educated until you have acknowledged the one who is truth, who is God. And as they go to school, whether it's you know, middle school, high school, or the university, um, I think students need to understand that we really are in a battle for what is truth. And I would just encourage young people, number one, give your life to Christ and let the spirit of God control you. Uh, Follow the Holy spirit, but understand that there's a difference between knowledge and indoctrination. And just be careful. Don't don't take what a professor says with a grain of salt, I mean, just uncritically accepting it. And don't take what I say without uncritical, uh, I mean, with uncritical acceptance. See if what I say or anybody or a professor says, see if it measures up to reality and really is true. And oftentimes that takes a little effort and a little intellectual heavy lifting, doesn't it?
0: Mm, it sure does. Yeah. Um, Alex, let me take a little break and we'll be right back. Alex McFarland is my guest, and you can go and learn all about Alex right at his website, AlexMcFarland.com. That's spelled M C F A R L A N D dot com. Alex McFarland. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And he's not only my fave, but a, uh, a listener favorite. I got all kinds of texts coming in from listeners. Uh, and a listener uh, from South Dakota would love for you uh, to handle Ephesians two nine, And that is not of works lest anyone should boast. Do you have anything on that, Alex?
3: Wow, great. Well... To that person, I say thank you very much for listening. And, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is just a very classic passage, and many people probably learn it as as one of their first memory verses, maybe after becoming a, a Christian. I know, I know I did, and I really love that. Let me read the whole thing, if I might. It says uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, "...for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves." It, salvation, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I love verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Um, Let me say this, and then I want to come back to verse 10, Bill, if I may. We're not saved by works, and we're not kept saved by works. Uh, If we are saved, though, we should do good works. We are saved uh, through the work that Christ did on the cross so, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, see, salvation would not be—or I'll put it this way, heaven wouldn't be very heavenly if if it were based on our own personal merit, because maybe we'd get to heaven we'd say, you know, oh, wow, you know, there's Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, you know, but uh, what's Uncle Louis doing here, you know? Well, we're all way better than him, <laughs> you know, but— Uh, It's all based on the righteousness of Christ on um, the cross in John nineteen thirty when Jesus said, "It is finished." What was finished? Uh, He paid the price of salvation. So we're saved through faith uh, in what Jesus did, not any personal merit of ourselves. But um, after we are saved, we're we're supposed to bear fruit and. you know, in verse ten it says we're his workmanship and, and I'm sure many people have heard pastors preach on this. It's the word poema from which we get poem. Um and it literally means a crafted work of art or well written verse. And isn't it something, Bill, that as a believer and we begin to grow and we let the Lord shape us and prune us and even maybe stretch us. Um that we let God craft and sculpt the person that we become. Um, it, it's almost like you know, letting Jesus be the Lord of our life. If if we'll allow that, you know, mountaintops, valleys, you know, the the joyful times, the stressful times, all of it, we look back and it is like a beautiful poem or bit of verse where God wrote our story. Hmm. Alex, with so much
0: teaching yeah. in Scripture on and evidence for hell why do you think so many people reject it do you think it's just a it's just contrary to their their personal preference
3: yeah um that that's a great question um bill do you remember william barclay the barclay commentaries oh yeah and i love that commentary I, I do too i mean i've got them and you know if you're if you go in your church library i bet 90% of everybody listening in your church library will be the william barclay commentaries they're pink green brown blue and gray spines <laughs> You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And as a rule, they are phenomenal. They're really good. So as a young believer, I was so impacted by William Barclay, I saw his biography, and I thought, oh, i got to read this. Well, there's a line in that where he said, and he said, I admit this is not hermeneutically defensible, but I'm a convinced universalist. Wow. And I was blown away. Now, believe me, I'm not dissing the Barclay commentaries. They're great. Buy them, use them. However, Barclay said, he's, and here's his rationale, he said, um, I cannot believe that a loving father would be eternally separated from one of his creatures. And somebody asked Barclay, you know, well, what about Adolf Hitler? And he said, well, I, you know, I'll admit, it's not scriptural, but I think if there is a heaven, we all ultimately get in. Now, C.S. Lewis commented on that line of thinking, and he said, well, a- against their will or not. Because, um, you know, if you read scriptures like Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven through 13, you will search and you will seek, and you will find when you seek with all your heart. And most scholars would say people respond, you know, it's it's about the response to the amount of light they had. And there are people, I've, I've met them, I've talked with them, there are some people that do not want God in their life. I asked one atheist, if there is a heaven, would you want to go there? He said no. So I think the people that reject what the Bible clearly says about hell, they've got a view of God that is is really maybe less scriptural and more a view of God of our own making, you know, um, but here's the bottom line if if there is no hell then jesus was wrong apparently because i mean clearly he warned i mean read luke 16 and even critical scholars believe luke was written by luke and was accurate you know so i mean jesus clearly warned read matthew 7 21 through 24 you know many will say to me lord lord and i'll say i'll never knew i never knew you depart from me into you know the the punishment, you workers of iniquity. So, I mean, you know, I'll put, I'll say what Jonathan Edwards said, former president of Princeton University. Jonathan Edwards was brilliant regarding the subject of hell. He said, "Tis dreadful, tis awful, but tis true."
0: Yeah, boy, that's profound.
3: Yeah, for real. Yeah,
0: when I think of uh, the line from uh, Pascal's book. Uh, his work, ponce's where this is like the only thing I remember from the book is he said, and I will, I'll probably butcher this, but uh, we are all making a high stakes life commitment to a particular faith view. And we're betting our, our, our eternal destiny on it.
3: Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. You know, I think about John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. Brilliant. You know, Wesley had a lot of great quotes. Wesley said, we have nothing to do but the saving of souls. But he said, life is lived an isthmus between two vast eternities, heaven or hell. I mean, you know, think about this little ribbon of land between two vast oceans. And Wesley said that, you know, there's heaven and there's hell. And, uh, you know, Peter Peter Craft, who is brilliant head of philosophy at Boston College and a devout believer, I highly recommend his book, uh, Handbook of Christian Apologetics. Um, you know, he said there, there's no doctrine that we would more willingly remove from the canon of Christian truth than the reality of hell, but it's not in, in our power to do it. It has the support of Scripture, uh, the support of, of reason— you know, God is not going to make people go to heaven against their will, and most of all, it has the support of of Christ, who rose from the dead. And so, um, let me say this, a lot of people will will say, well, and this is is a fallacy, but they'll say, well, you know, people put in the, the doctrine of hell just to control people through fear. But no, I mean, we have a lineage of how the scriptures were copied. It's called manuscript attestation. And we know what the scriptures say. We know how they were copied and preserved. And um, for one thing, we, there's no time for a, uh, an aberrant teaching like that to have been introduced without people have kn- knowing it. If it, indeed it were aberrant, which it isn't. But the thing is, um, the 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 early church and the scribes. I mean, they were copious in their care and preservation of the scripture, so they weren't just glibly adding and contracting to suit themselves, they copied what the Word of God was, and the Word of God, shown to be preserved by compelling lines of evidence, I mean, it includes not only heaven, but hell. Like it or not, I mean, it's in there. Mm-hmm. Alex, that wraps up our
0: time for today. I'll leave you with a text from a listener who said, Alex is a spiritual national treasure.
3: Well, how about that? that that's we, very we kind. Love,
0: we love you here, Alex. Just well, so you I know.
3: love you guys. I love you guys. thank you for listening. I'm a big, big fan of Bill Arnold. Thank you. And if anything good is happening, we give God the glory. Indeed. Have a great
0: weekend. I know you're busy traveling. I'll talk to you in a week or so. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Alex McFarland's been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com. Learn more about Alex and his writings. We'll take a short break and be back. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully glad to be joined in studio by a couple of fine, fine gentlemen. Um, <laughs> Mike Minnick is uh, with me. He's the director of strategic uh, partnerships at Bethany International. And I also have uh, Dan Brocky, He is the president of Bethany International and Bethany Global University right here in Bloomington, Minnesota. And Bethany's mission, you're going to love this, is to take the church to where it is not. And helping others do the same thing. I like you guys already.
4: It's great to be here with you.
0: Thank you so much. Tell me a little bit about Bethany Global and Bethany International.
4: Yeah, so Bethany International has been in South Bloomington now for almost 75 years. It started off with a small church kind of in the south side of Minneapolis. And they really met God in a really powerful way, and their lives were transformed. And then, um, got introduced to missions It was kind of a new concept for them to realize around the world, there were unevangelized millions of people. And they began to think about what would that mean to us? How should we respond to that? And that ended up drawing them to an initial goal of training and sending and supporting a hundred missionaries seemed unbelievable to them out of reach and, uh, And that that ultimately led them to saying, we're going to have to do life very differently than we've done it before. So they sold their homes, pooled all their resources, bought a mansion off of Blaisdell Avenue here in South Minneapolis, and moved in together so they could save money, mow one lawn, do wash for each other, Mm -hmm. eat meals together, just do everything to save as much as they could so they could give as much as they could. And that's really the start, the beginning of Bethany became Bethany Fellowship. And that was how many years ago? It was 1945. So in 1945, this, these group of people do
0: exactly what you just said, sell their houses, buy a mansion, move it together, and start on the mission of training missionaries and sending them out. That's right. With this lofty goal of, of doing 100 mission, missionaries
4: out into the field. Yeah, And that seemed like an unthinkable goal for them, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, they were part of a denomination at that time. The whole denomination didn't have 100 missionaries. Okay. So here's this group. I think at that point, this little church had 22 people or something like that. So to take on something like that was just way beyond what they could have imagined. I love big thinkers. Yeah. Don't you? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So then what happened? It began to be a drawing point. They would do um, Bible studies in that mansion, and they would... Um, Friday night. In fact, my parents met there. Uh, my dad was a student at Saint Olaf, and my mom was a nursing student at Deaconess Hospital. And, and they then, went to the Bible study there. They went to and the Bible and study fell there. Yeah, eventually. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so um, they, out, they the group outgrew the home, the mansion, and bought a farm in South Bloomington in 1947. Okay, and moved on that farm. And from there, began to just look at all these guys were business people. And so they began to look at ways, well, how are we going to fund missions? How are we going to do this? So out of that came, uh, they started camping trailers, uh, pop-up camping trailers that sold for probably 30 years. Then they did lefsa plates for the Norwegians and uh, sold. I know two, that sounds a little bit like a joke, but it's not, is it? It's not a joke. <laughs> sold 250,000 of plates and they yeah. would make them on the campus. Yeah, probably in three days. Yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> And then started Bethany House Publishers, okay. which is the publishing house. that okay. probably became the most known right. of the businesses that started. But all of that was to support, obviously, their own operation, but then training students and then supporting missionaries on the field. Yeah,
0: so very entrepreneurial that they're going to figure yeah. out ways yeah. to generate revenue to keep funding and
4: supporting the mission. That's right. Yeah, of course, that's a fantastic story in and of itself. The simple thing for them was uh, they were all business people. They didn't have ministry training. And uh, my dad used to say if God had given this vision to theologians, they'd still be talking about it. Mm -hmm. But he gave it to business people, so they did something about it. Uh, Actually, four years ago, the last, five years ago, the last founding member uh, passed away. And, wow. and he was 102. And um, I went to visit him on December 16th. And I was just thanking him for his obedience, thanking him for his life, and uh, that heaven alone would tell the story of what had actually happened because they obeyed God in this, wow. this step. And so I, I asked, I said, Halbert, is there anything you'd like to say to me? And uh, he leaned forward and he just said, dig with the shovel in your hand and God will do the rest. And I felt like it was such a simple but powerful statement of of the simplicity of faith that these guys would just say, what can we do? And they would just start doing it. And then how God takes that and uses that. Mm-hmm. So how many missionaries have been sent out now? About a thousand Okay, have been sent out from, from Bethany or from Bethany Global University, and serving with other mm-hmm. ministries as well. So tell me about Bethany University. So Bethany Global University is, uh, is, has been dedicated since 1948. They started the, the school in 1948 um, with the goal of training missionaries. That was the the, the heart of it. And um, through the years, because it's such a boutique program, so focused just on missions, I had about 3,000 students. And about a, th- a third of them, a thousand, have ended up serving long term, and in, in missions cross culturally, seventy countries, and yeah, serving in seventy seventy plus countries. Mm-hmm.
0: So, when you say
4: "let's take the church to where it is not," what does that really mean? I was just having a conversation about the nation of Kenya. Okay, so when we think of Kenya, we think of an African, but mostly Christian nation.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um the late 90s, a number of pastors from Kenya go down to uh, South Africa for a conference called Jokowi. And in that conference, they hear that in Kenya, there are 22 unreached people groups, groups that basically have not had the gospel brought to them. And they say, this cannot be true. There's got to be some Western guy, some white guy <laughs> from another part of the world that actually did the research and is now telling us we're not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. So they started researching or looking as to the source of that, and they found out it was one of their own Kenyan people who had done the research, and it just, it just shook them. And so here you have a, a Christian nation that has 22 unreached people groups in reaches or areas of Kenya that are much more remote. Yeah. So you go to Nairobi, it's mostly Christian. But you go out to the edges, and it's not Christian. Well, that's all over the world. You can go all across across Sahel, Africa, the south of the Sahara, and the southern part of these countries are Christian. The northern parts are very unreached. Um, go throughout India, there's over 2,000 unreached people groups. So an unreached people group is really identified by the Joshua Project as being less than 2% Christian. So there's less than 2% presence of Christians in that people group. Would you also say, Dan, that those
0: People would not have churches or Bibles or access to other believers around them. Yeah,
4: yeah. Pretty much. That's that's the key. And they wouldn't have a church that's there could be a presence of a church there, but it's not strong enough to evangelize their own people. Mm-hmm. So when we talk
0: about the difference between someone who would be unsaved and someone who is unreached, there's quite a difference there, isn't there? There is. Yeah.
4: Yeah. An unsaved person, obviously we have unsaved people all around us. Right. And we're not off the hook. Right. You know, we've got to keep reaching them as well, reaching out to them. But they can find a believer. They can find a church. They can find a Bible. They can find they can listen to KTIS or they can listen to a, a station or on the radio or television. And they can find the gospel someplace. Right. You go in, in these unreached regions and peoples, they are not able to find that Christian witness. They wouldn't know where to go find one. Mm-hmm. So how are
0: we spending our money and our our time trying to reach the that unreached portion. Are we, are we putting a lot of energy into getting to those places or are we sending missionaries out to places where there's plenty of churches and believers
4: and Bibles and are we trying to go after the unreached? Yeah, well I, I want to be careful not to condemn anybody. Of course not. Right? And so, you know, through all the decades of missions, centuries of missions, now There are a lot of places that are mostly evangelized. There is more access to the gospel, and there are a lot of missionaries there. And the emphasis has been there for centuries, really. Mm -hmm. If we were to look at really how many are working among these most, I call even profoundly unreached peoples, it's a very small percentage. Some will say it's 1%, some will say it's 2%, some will put it less than that. Mm -hmm. There aren't many. But something really powerful has been happening over the last 30 years. And that is that uh, there's been this awareness of unreached peoples. There didn't used to be that. You know, a missionary would go to another country. That's where right. you're going. Okay, I went to someplace in Africa. I went to Ghana. I went to Congo. I went to someplace like that. And so we, I thought in terms of countries. But when this whole idea of unreached peoples came, people began to target unreached peoples. And over the last... I would say even 15, 20 years, the emphasis has been to say, let's adopt, let's target those unreached peoples and let's send workers. Let's make sure we're sending teams of workers to those places. So there's been a shift, but still the greatest mass is where the church already is and where people can find the gospel. The smallest amount is actually with these very unreached peoples. Mm -hmm. So how does
0: uh, Bethany, how is Bethany helping move the church forward? In reaching these people. Well, because you're passionate, you got a passion for this, which is awesome.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Lord, uh, I remember uh, the Lord using one of our board members to to um, kind of help us focus in on okay. it. And um, we were sitting in a board meeting, and all of a sudden he gets up from his chair, he picks up his computer, and he brings this map and shows each board, walks up to each board member, shows them this map. And in essence, he says, if if we're not focused on the very edges, if we're not focused on the hard places, we'll never get there. We'll always stop someplace sure. short of that. So this map had red dots all across the world. And some of these areas were just totally red with dots. There were so many unreached peoples in those regions. India happened to be one of those. And out of that... It, it it kind of woke us all up to saying, okay, let's define our vision and our mission to where the edges are versus just a general bring the gospel to people who are lost. And that shift, that, that really helped consolidate that thought of taking the church to where it is not and defining it that way. So our response has been, okay, let's shift all of our efforts to focus on that. And and it's, it's you know, whenever you set a goal like that, it begins to refine you all the way through the places mm-hmm. where you're operating. Uh, you may think you're doing that, but then you discover maybe we're not doing as much as we thought. And so this has been a process for us, of really growing into retooling everything we do towards that end. Wow.
0: Dan Brocky is my guest. We're going to take a, just a very short break. We'll uh, continue with lots more in just a minute. To so the show, I have in studio Dan Brocky and also Mike Minnick. They come to us from Bethany International, and their mission is to take the church to where it is not and to help others do the same. Right before we went to break, Mike, I think you had something you were going to jump in with.
1: Well, being on this program with a guy that has a great sense of humor but also has a serious side, you appreciate the fact that 72% of all statistics are made up on the spot, <laughs> including that one, right? Right, of course. Yeah. So the danger in all of our uh, data-hungry analytical tendencies, even in the church, is to overstate uh, our impact. And m- my short time, relatively speaking, on Bethany's staff over the last year, has helped me appreciate that this humble operation tucked away in Southwest Bloomington for all of these years has been quietly, obediently going about training and sending long-term missionaries to have an impact all over the world, to take the church to where it is not. So it's living it out authentically in a qualitative way that is, I think, pretty remarkable in the scheme of things. So we do take it serious, but there is a real spirit of joy around it, too. These young people are having fun. I, I My second week uh, on campus last year, we commissioned our juniors to go out on their 16-month global internship. And as we prayed over them and I just looked at their face and I said, wow, this is serious stuff. And these young people are taking the gospel to the hardest places, to what Dan referred to earlier, the edges of the kingdom, because they understand that we aren't going to get at this by playing missions and and sort of being comfortable in the Hilton Cairo and just sort of taking our in, forays into the... Uh, Communities that are out there that are known. We have to go into the very, very difficult places. And not because the Western or white person is going to carry the torch out there and light the world. It's because we're coming in and training and supporting the indigenous local nationals to do the work. And that's really the third component of the Bethany International world. We have Bethany Global Un- University, which we've talked about a little bit, we have Bethany Gateways, which is our sending and support arm that uh, helps our global interns, but really our long-term missionaries. And then we have our national partners, which have been uh, connected with over all these years by one of our very sharpest and most diligent, traveling, crazy staff members, Tim Freeman, who has been raising up leaders in country, around the world, in 300 areas where we have national training centers to deploy those locals, nationals, to where the gospel is not, where the church is not. And so, to me, it's been exciting to see that we're uh, going to the places that some people would regard using 3% of the human missionary workforce to do 1% of the resources, using 1% of the resources, to get the hardest work that remains. Mm. And I think we got to flip the script to some extent. It's
0: really exciting, really exciting work. Now, there was an event that happened. Was it fifty years ago? A horrible tornado that really had an impact on the Bethany community. I would love to hear about that. This is the anniversary, isn't it? Yeah. This month.
4: Yeah, just uh, August sixth. August sixth. Okay. Was, yeah, that was the. Do tell that story. Well, um, leave out no details. do okay. was there. <laughs> yeah, you were. You were just a boy. I, I was just a boy. I was yes. seventeen. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Bethany had uh, uh, some cabins on Lake Roosevelt near outing. Minnesota. And so it was a place that staff could go and have vacations uh, because obviously they would given everything they had and joined the fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was a place to, to go and relax, but also we'd do some retreats there and things like that. So uh, we, our family uh, was up there, came up a few days earlier. And on that August 6th, um, remember it was just a really hot day and um, it was heavy, just still. Um, we enjoyed the water. It was a great day to be on the water. And just a couple minutes before 5 o'clock, uh, we looked out the end of our cabin, and there was just a large, dark cloud. I wouldn't say you could say, I couldn't see a funnel shape. And uh, then you begin to hear something. And so we ran out of our cabin. There was another cabin next to us. We were kind of on the point. We were coming in towards the... There was a large bank that went up one side of the, out of the lake. But we went to another cabin, and uh, 17 people gathered in that cabin. And I I actually went in there, and then I saw my dad hanging onto a tree outside, and I began to hear trees breaking. And so I ran out of the cabin and threw myself on the ground. And the 17 people, and then we just laid on the ground. the The tornado hit in that instant. And at that moment, we just laid there. Uh, it felt like we were being sandblasted. Um, just uh, at one point, a, a small tree fell on my dad's back, and I reached back with my arm to lift it, and the the tornado just blew it away quickly. And I, uh, and then we just lay there, and then it was gone. I mean, it was like 40 seconds of just that tornado passing over us. We got up off the ground, and. Uh, stood around, turned around, and where that cabin had been, well, all the cabins had been, there was just a, a black black hole. So the cabin was gone. There was a car that had been sitting behind it. That was gone. Every tree was down. Uh, somebody across the lake had it had passed over them earlier, and so they looked across the lake, and they said they had looked at it. one instant. All the trees just laid down, uh, roots being pulled out, so I got up off the ground and my dad says, do you see your mom? I said, dad, everything is gone. There's nothing left. So walked towards the lake. He says, do you see your mom or your brother? And I said, dad, I don't see anybody. And then as we walked towards the lake, I saw three or four people kind of along one shore down the side, get out of the lake. And so I knew somebody was alive and I kept walking towards the water and then saw my mom's head pop out of the water. And so I wanted to get to her, but the, the waves in the lake were probably five, seven feet high. Just It was like somebody had sh- taken the whole lake and just shaken it. Um, so got in the water, eventually calmed down a bit, swam to her, got her on the cabin floor, and then, um, and then was able to kind of work that floor towards the shore. And there was debris everywhere. At one point I saw a little girl or a... a a body with a sweatshirt and um, found out it was a a 19-year-old girl and got her to shore. And um, her parents began mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Uh, She was gone. But out of our group of, of, um, there were 17 in the cabin, my dad and I, and then three others that were in another cabin. But out of the group of 22 of us, seven were killed. Um, They didn't find my brother that day. Uh, They found him. A couple of days later, along with another little five-year-old girl that they found, at the time they were in about 30 feet of water. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, we just because we did this reunion, uh, we had everybody kind of told their story, what they felt like. Well, the people inside that cabin described that cabin being lifted up and then just shot out, and the next thing they knew, they were tumbling through water. Um, one one of the guys described that he remember seeing a refrigerator flying through the air next to him as he was going through the air another person said it sounded like every nail in the house was being pulled out you could hear the nails being pulled out we know that sound um others said i i was thrown i was knocked out and the next thing i know i'm in water fighting fighting to get to the surface um and and so it was just it was just uh, a, a such a brief moment but it was so defining um about four days later i think on the 11th of of august uh, what i guess five days later we had the funeral at bethany and there were seven hearses lined up outside seven caskets inside the church and um i remember one of the one of the moms in particular who lost her daughter her mother-in-law um and a niece um said, you know, I thought if I served God that he would protect us from all this kind of thing. And, um, you know, those kinds of questions just kept coming up for people. My mom, for, for really several weeks, probably longer than that really, but for several weeks just kept asking why. You know, why did this happen? Um, why did my son die? Um, one day the Lord just kind of settled in her heart, Kathy, don't ask why. Trust me. I, I realized that no answer that even God would give would be big enough to answer the why question. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just bigger than that. I, I went back two days later after the tornado to just to help on some cleanup. And I almost immediately went to try to find the place where my dad and I laid on the ground. And I could not find a place big enough for two men to lay. There were so many big trees down. Wow. And it just kind of hit me at that moment. I, we didn't choose a spot. God gave us one. No kidding, because you should have been under debris, trees, maybe your own death. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, and I remember at that time just coming to the sense of my life is not my own. I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm living on borrowed time. Uh, my brother was 13. Love the Lord. Um, a few Weeks before this, he had come to my mom and dad, and he just said, um, you, you and dad and, and Dan are ready, aren't you? And my mom said, why, Paul? So well, I just want to make sure we'll all be together. And you just get these little senses that there was premonition that God was doing something and giving them a clue. But it was transforming. I mean, it just changes the way you live the rest of your life.
0: It's an amazing story. And then you just recently this month... Uh, went back to that very place. Yeah. And all the survivors and everyone that was part of that yeah. went back and
4: reminisced. Yeah. Wow. They had a They had a, a picnic just about a half mile from the spot where the tornado hit. Mm-hmm. Totally in that area, 12 people died um, on that tornado itself. It was, it was a massive tornado. It was a mile wide, and it went for 38 miles on the ground wow. without lifting up. Wow. Wow. An, an F4
0: unbelievable. Dan, thank you. And Mike, thank you so much for coming in. This has uh, been great uh, Great to have you here in studio. Bethanyinternational.org is the website. You can go learn more about Bethany International and Bethanyinternational.org. One more time, you can also learn about missions and training and events. And um, you can also, uh, if you're so led, uh, donate there. So thank you guys very much for being here. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, that wraps up the show for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for being such uh, great fans of Faith Radio and supporting, listening, caring. We love you. It's now time to uh, ring the bell.